Hello and welcome. No hiding place for looters of the Niger Delta Development Commission. Federal government vows to track and prosecute them. Brace for the task ahead in the new year. Chief of Defence Staff tasks the military. And staying with our end of year review, we turn our attention to infrastructure. And in Cape Town, South Africa, huge sympathisers as Archbishop Desmond Tutu lies in state. Plus we have international news from our London studio. On business news tonight, World Bank projects $74 per barrel average price for crude oil in its latest commodity markets outlook for next year. On sports news tonight, Super Eagles forward Victor Sime isolating after testing positive for coronavirus for a second time. And from Abuja, coalition of civil society groups identify errors in the Electoral Act Amendment Bill, say development could result in more complications on the piece of legislation. Those who were involved in the looting of funds allocated to the Niger Delta Development Commission may not have any place to hide. And that's because the president has reiterated his resolve to recover such diverted funds and ensure the perpetrators face the law. President Muhammadu Buhari stated this during the inauguration of the 1,050 hostel complex built by the NDDC at the University of Uyo in Akwaibom State. The Niger Delta Development Commission needs to demonstrate that it can achieve the objectives it was conceived for and made its impact felt all over the Niger Delta region. The lives of the people of the Niger Delta could be so much better if the funding received by this commission since its inception in billions of Naira over the last 20 years have been judicially deployed in service of the people. The serial abuse, lack of delivery, and what had become an entrenched institutional decay was the reason why I called for the forensic audit. Therefore, going forward, we shall ensure every recoverable COBO is recovered for use in service of the people of this region, and those found culpable shall face the law. Consequently, I want to use the opportunity of this commissioning to direct all statutory contributors to the NDDC to remit, to remit all outstanding funds to the Commission and to ensure this is done transparently and according to laid down procedure and process. To the management of the institution, I recognize your efforts in bringing life back into this project which could easily have become one of the many mirror-burned projects that dot the landscape of the region. I expect more of these reclamation projects as we go into the new year. This is what we owe as a duty to Nigerians. 
We'll have more on the president's engagements today later on in the bulletin. But to security and hours, efforts are stepped up towards tackling the challenging situation in the country. The chief of defense staff, General Loki Irabo, is asking men and officers of the military to brace for the task ahead of them in the new year. General Rabo, who stated this at the decoration of newly promoted officers of the Nigerian Air Force in Abuja, asked them to put in their best for the nation. While appraising the nation's security during the festive period, the military chief says that his men have done well. Friends and family members of newly promoted officers of the Nigeria Air Force are here to celebrate the elevation of six to six officers. One after the other, the officers who are flanked by their senior colleagues and spouses are decorated with their new ranks. Among them are two female officers. Their new roles come with fresh challenges. I charge you to put all hands on deck in our quest towards enhancing and sustaining critical power capabilities required for joint force employment in the pursuit of national security imperatives. If 2021 is challenging, I'd like to assure you that year 2022 will be more challenging. And so this is the reason why I'd like to call on you to please brace up because we must, at all costs, take away every form of insecurity in Ireland. Those decorated include 29 Air Vice Marshals, 31 Air Commodores, 1 Air Warrant Officer, and five flight lieutenants. Distinguished invited guests, ladies and gentlemen. At the Army headquarters, the Chief of Defense Staff is joined by dignitaries, including Governor Godwin Obaseki of Edo State, the National Security Advisor, General Babagana Monguno, and the Minister of Defense, General Bashir Magashi. On 21st September 1990, the Army promoted 41 Brigadier Generals to the rank of Major General, while 76 Colonels were elevated to the rank of Brigadier General. As its tradition, their spouses participate in the decoration ceremony. This time, the charge for the newly promoted officers goes beyond commitments to national security. We must remain focused and remain apolitical. Allow politicians to do their own, we remain professional in the structure of our duties. The decoration train also makes a stop at the headquarters of the Nigerian Navy. Here, it is not just the spouses who are involved in the decoration. Some had their children perform the ceremony as well. In his charge to the officers, the Chief of Naval Staff, Rear Admiral Awal Gambu, warns against any efforts to sabotage the nation's economy. Any act of collision with criminals to sabotage or measures in place to checkmate illegal or illegalities will be met with stiff sanctions in accordance with the law of the land. 21 Commodores were promoted to the rank of Rear Admirals, while 36 Captains were elevated to the rank of Commodore. Meanwhile, troops of the multinational Joint Task Force says troops have killed 22 Boko Haram and ISWAP terrorists within the vicinity of Malam Fatori town in the outskirts of the Lake Chad region. A statement by the spokesperson of the MJTF, Colonel Mohamed Dole, says the operation had troops drawn from Sector 3, Monguno in Nigeria, and Sector 4 in Difa, Niger Republic, supported by Operation Harding Kai, who also from Nigeria targeted Boko Haram ISWAP terrorists hibernating in the vicinity of Malam Fatori town. 
Colonel Dole explains that five gun trucks, five motorcycles, as well as several logistic bunkers were destroyed, while eight AK-47 rifles were also recovered from the terrorists who launched several mortar attacks and laid improvised explosive devices along the troops' route of advance. The troops, however, brought superior firepower to bear on the insurgents, forcing them to abandon their hideouts. At the end of the operation, six members of the Joint Task Force, including two officers and four other ranks from both Nigeria and Niger Republic, lost their lives in the line of duty, with about 16 others wounded in action. Let's say with security, when in Zamvara state, the police have arrested a 20-year-old alleged bandit, Sunni Mati, said to have been terrorizing three local government areas of Zurmi, Shinkafi and Brunin Magaji. According to the Commissioner of Police, Sayuba Elkana, the suspect was arrested while trying to block a highway around a community with the intent to attack commuters and abduct innocent citizens. Items recovered from him include an AK-47 rifle, double magazines, three rounds of live ammunition and one motorcycle. Three seven trillion naira allocated to capital expenditure in the 2021 appropriation bill, representing 32% of the budget, may have been one of the highest in recent times. Yet it's a far cry from the estimated $100 billion required annually by the country to fix its infrastructure deficit. And while the government explores other avenues to fund the myriad of projects on the ground, our correspondent Chris Lems assesses how it's fared in actualizing some of those objectives in 2021. And Chris Lems joins us now. Hey, Chris, good to see you. Yeah, good evening to you. So you've been keeping an eye on infrastructure development. What were the high points? Oh, okay. Um, first of all, I think um, the government did so much in terms of opening up funding. You know, uh, for a very long, long time, we depended on budgetary allocation, which was a far cry from what we needed, $100 billion annually. And we needed that for 30 years to be able to fix infrastructural deficit. And so the government opened up funding. And I think that was the highlight because now we are no longer dependent on just budget, budgetary allocation. There are now private partners joining in fixing infrastructure development. All right, and I think you have a report on that. Yes, this report captures uh, the efforts of the government to actually tackle infrastructural deficits. Moving goods, people, connecting villages and towns, facilitating trades and stimulating the economy depend on effective and efficient infrastructure such as roads, rails, seaports, power and ICT. In 2019, Nigeria ranked 116 out of 140 countries rated on global competitiveness by World Economic Forum, using infrastructure as one of the major yardsticks. The country's reliance on budget reallocation to fix and upgrade road infrastructure for a long time soon turned them into death traps. A concrete resolve to change the narrative has been demonstrated by the present administration with the signing of Executive Order 7, which has informed the right policy framework and created enough space for public-private partnership in infrastructure development, such as the tax credit scheme. 
Evidence are the ongoing construction of 32-kilometer Papa Oshudi Iyano Woro Expressway. The launch of Ifraco PLC with debt and equity takeoff capital of 15 trillion naira, the Presidential Infrastructure Development Fund, which is financing three major projects, including the Lagos Ibadan Expressway, Second Niger Bridge, and Abuja Kaduna Zaria Kanu Road, are a few more measurable steps being taken by the government. Right now, we are on Lagos Ibadan Expressway. Funding was never an issue throughout the um, the outgoing year, and uh, basically, we've been able to achieve more. All things being equal, we should be able to deliver this road in 2022. With 200 billion naira released in 2021, the Sukuk Bond is funding 44 roads projects across the country. A further 21 roads are set to get attention, including the Oyo Ubomosho Road, Lagos Badagri Express through the over 600 billion naira NMPC tax credit scheme. The rail sector has also witnessed improved activities in recent times with the commissioned 327-kilometer Wari Takbet standard gauge line, 156-kilometer Lagos Ibado network, 186-kilometer Abuja Kaduna channel, as well as the revamped monorails across the country. I think this is something that should be continued and we should rev it up, particularly in, the, in light of the Africa continental free trade area that has opened up. While infrastructure upgrade continues at both the federal and state level, the share weight of housing deficit estimated at about 20 million stares us in the face. As part of measures to address this challenge, the federal government, through its national housing program, is undertaking the construction of 5,606 housing units in 45 sites across 35 states, of which 2,301 have been completed. However, some infrastructure experts think the federal government has a better role to play. If you have to buy land from the state or acquire through the state, why don't you enable the state to use its land, create more houses for its own people. Port operations are still concentrated in Lagos, leaving the city at the mercy of truck drivers, who in turn blame security operatives for the gridlock often experienced on the roads. With the approval of Lekki, Ibom, Boni and Wari Deep Sea ports, among other measures to revamp the eastern ports, stakeholders are hopeful this would address their plight, which has led to over 1,500% increase in cargo handling charges, shipment and trucking. With various states in the country keen into the massive infrastructure development drive, Nigerians may have to look forward to better days ahead. All right, so looking at all the projects you've highlighted, what's the outlook for 2022, Chris, quickly? Well, uh, the, the, the beauty of, this, of it all is that uh, by 2022, the second Niger Bridge would have been completed. And of course, the Lagos Ibadan Expressway also would have been completed. And there is a 600 billion uh, Naira task credit scheme of the NMPC that will be fixing 21 roads. So there will be a lot of work, massive work ongoing on the roads across the country. All right, our correspondent Chris Alems crunching the figures on infrastructure for us. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thank you. And in part two, after the break, a deeper look at Nigeria's infrastructure in 2021. This time, our guest is the president of the Nigerian Institute of Quantity Surveyors, Mr. Olayemi Shonubi. That's in a moment. You join us again.
Welcome back. If you've just joined us, you're watching the news at 10 on Channel's television, coming to you live from Lagos. A reminder of our top stories. The president vows to track and prosecute looters of the Niger Delta Development Commission Fund. Chief of Defense Staff charges the military to brace for the task ahead in the new year. And staying with our end-of-year review, we turn our attention to infrastructure. And in Cape Town, South Africa, citizens mourn Archbishop Desmond Tutu as he lies in state. Being joined on the news at 10 by an infrastructure expert and the president of the Nigerian Institute of Quantity Surveyors, Mr. Olayemi Shonubi. Thanks a lot for joining us on the news Thank at 10. Thank you, Jema, for having me. Are you satisfied uh, with the amount of finance being poured into infrastructure? I mean, Chris has laid the background about we've, and we picked certain projects, but are you happy about it? Yes. Well, the government could do quite much more, but for as far as I am concerned, uh, for what they have done so far and the plans they have for the future because I've just gone through the National Development Plan and I've seen how they plan to raise money to also work on the infrastructure. I think the government has, well, they've done well so far because the problem initially, because when you look at how long it has taken to do the Lagos Ibadan Expressway, then you realize that the bane of our infrastructural development had been lack of finance. Unfortunately, the people who should help are not really, because when you consider the fact that when, you, when we're using the budget solely, like Chris said earlier, to finance the infrastructure, we had this challenge that each time you go to the National Assembly, because they, the people in National Assembly want to satisfy their own constituents who send them to National Assembly. So what they'll be looking at is that, what do I need to do for my constituents back home? Mm -hmm. And that's what created this constituency project. So it's a question of, does it make sense to spend 500 million naira on Lagos by the expressway or break that 500 million into about 10 different projects and do town hall, mini stadium, and all of that across 10 local governments, which these members of National Assembly come from? So that has been the challenge. But I think when the government sat back and looked at the fact that there are always this issue about raising finance, they came up with that. Presidential Infrastructural Development Fund, through which they raise money from the Sukuk Bond. Now they've created the Infraco, the Infrastructural uh, Corporation of Nigeria, which hopefully also is to raise finance to do infrastructure. And it's only through that that we can begin to talk about, because without finance, there's no way. Yes, you've spoken about finance, but yeah. what about quality uh, control? So a lot of people say beyond the finance problem, you also have institutions who are meant to oversee certain projects not doing what they're supposed to do or on overlap. Um, what about that as we look ahead? Well, the, the problem also, that's one aspect. Yeah. Because you ask yourself, how do the people who are contracted to do this job, why are they selected in the first instance? When you talk about PPP, there are two aspects to it. You have somebody who is bringing in his own money, not government. But although in this particular case, it's government that has raised money, and that through, debt, I mean, through loans to do those projects. So obviously we expect that government will have engaged some consultants who are supposed to be doing the job. So if the jobs are not well done, I think all of us should be able to act like watchdog, 
those professionals that are on those jobs, when, they, when you report to the government, they should be sanctioned. I think part of the problem we have in the country is that everybody appears to be docile. When I say everybody, the majority of the people who elected these leaders, we are all docile. We allow government to do whatever they want and get away with it. The government, in appointing people to do the projects, also think they have the leeway to do what. So it's about time that professionals, too, need to come together and begin to look at, okay, what are we offering the public? Because the truth of the matter is that in whatever we do as professionals, as professional, part of our ethics is that the public good should be our first call. And, and, and finally, now, if you were to mention two key infrastructure projects that have national impact, which you would like to see done as we move into the new year, what would they be, finally? Expansion of our railway network. Because the moment we can expand and we can move goods across the country in large numbers without having to use stroke, then, of course, we'll be talking about reducing the load or the weight, the burden on our routes. If we can expand the rail network, work more on the... Because now, because of the insecurity, a lot of people will now travel more either by air. But if the rails were working, of course, it would be a lot easier. You understand? You can move more people. You can move uh, tons of uh, cargo. cargo via rail than roads. And then, of course, we can be sure that the, uh, the, um, the road itself will take a longer time you know, in terms of the steam power. All right, President of the Nigerian Institute of Quantity Surveyors, Mr. Olayemi Shonubi, thanks for sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you very much, Ijoma, for having me. Yeah. All right, let's cross over to Abuja. Here's Markwe Ogun Yusuf. Okay. Hello, Ijeoma. As the National Assembly decides what to do with the recently vetoed Electoral Act Amendment Bill, the decision of the President to decline assent to the bill might have provided a window of opportunity for the legislature to check some cross-referencing errors, grammatical and conflicting provisions in the document. Eleven of these errors were identified by a coalition of civil society groups led by Yaga Africa. Addressing a news conference in Abuja, the executive director of Yaga Africa, Mr. Samson Itodo, explains that these errors could pose some complications. Following the president's decision to decline assent to the Electoral Act Amendment Bill, civil society groups are not letting go. Apologies, we... This three-man team is representing a coalition of nine civil society organizations that undertook a review of the bill to identify 11 sections with drafting errors, repetition, and cross-referencing gaps. On cross-referencing gaps, we identify that in five sections of the bill, um, grammatical errors in two sections of the bill, um, duplicate provisions in three, and then conflicting provisions in one section of the bill. Without doubt, these errors um, will occasion ambiguities, controversies, and legal complications in the implementation if the bill is enacted. In August 2018, President Buhari premised one of his decisions to decline assent to the 2018 Electoral Amendment Bill on certain drafting errors and cross-referencing gaps. 
and that necessitated the exercise. Beyond the sections on electronic voting and mode of party selection of candidates, the bill has other innovations which are expected to make elections credible in Nigeria. The state is required to provide and release funding for, the, for general elections one year before the elections. The reason why that was introduced in the law was to cure the mischief in 2018, where the budget for the 2019 election was only released to INEC six months to the elections. The president has sent back the bill to the National Assembly for further adjustment, and the coalition wants federal lawmakers to expedite action on the bill. We would need to review clause by clause to ensure that all the issues we've hi highlighted in our, in our memorandum are truly addressed, and that um, there's a, a, lot more, a better consensus on the issues before we transmitting to the president. And we believe it's important the National Assembly accords the urgency this bill deserves and um, resumes earlier than planned and actually ensures that they retransmit this bill to the president. The group is hoping that lawmakers can conclude work on the bill before the end of January 2022 for the president to ascend to it ahead of the off-season elections. When the news at 10 returns, World Bank projects $74 per barrel average price for crude oil in its latest commodity markets outlook for next year. That's on Business News to join us again. Welcome back to the news at 10. Let's now turn our attention to today's commissioning of a 1,050-bed hostel complex built by the Niger Delta Development Commission, the NEDC, at the University of Uyo in Akwaibom State. While commissioning the project virtually, President Muhammadu Buhari noted that the facility is evidence that his administration's efforts towards ensuring development of the Niger Delta are yielding the desired results. He noted that the project shows what happens when allocated resources are properly utilized for the people. This 1,050-bed space hostel complex is the latest ultra-modern facility situated at the University of Uyo in Akwaibom State. The project is facilitated by the region's interventionist agency, the Niger Delta Development Commission, and the interim administrator of the NDDC appeals to the students and the institution to own and protect it. That you must, most efficiently, make effective use of this place. That you do not, you do all that is within your power to keep the facilities clean, intact, and so that the dreams could be kept alive. The Minister of Niger Delta Affairs believes the project is a demonstration of President Buhari's commitment to develop the oil-rich region, while Governor Domi Manuel, who is represented at the event, notes that the project will scale up the region's outlook. He is very, very determined to leave Niger Delta better than he met it, far, far better than he met it. That was why he started with the forensic audit, and of course it has thrown up to 18,777 projects today have been abandoned. We are aware of the great things that His Excellency, our President, our dear President, that is doing not only to the Niger Delta but the entire Federation. The goodwill messages are not in short supply from the university community to members of the National Assembly. The special guest and president of Nigeria, Mohamed Buhari, who joins virtually, says accommodation is a vital part of education reform by his administration. This ultra-modern hotel complex 
built and donated to the University of OU by NDDC, renews our confidence that the forensic audit, which has been completed and currently being reviewed for necessary action, had achieved one of its core objectives. That objective is to rebuild the NDDC into an agency that is well equipped and better placed to facilitate sustainable regional development in a transparent and impactful way. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. The hostel complex at the University of Uyo, built and donated by the NDDC, no doubt will, to a large extent, close the gap in the housing needs of the university community. It was a rather busy day for the president, as he also received former president, Dr. Kudlock Jonathan, as well as other visitors at the presidential villa. Although the purpose of the visit by Dr. Jonathan was not made known, it might, be, it might not be unconnected with the former president's engagement as ECOWAS chief mediator to Mali. President Buhari, alongside other African leaders, had recently voiced concerns over democratic threats posed by the difficult transitions in Mali and Guinea, countries that have since been suspended from the ECOWAS. Another visitor to the presidential villa today was the governor of Abia State, Okeze Ikbazu, who led other leaders from his state and a curtsy call on the president. After the meeting, Governor Ikbazu told State House correspondents that Southeasterners have a right to take a shot at the presidency because they understand and know Nigeria better. I am not interested in the presidency. I am very busy. Um, as governor and um, uh, thinking about what I will become now will amount to shortchanging my people. I think that the Southeasterners have a right to take a shot at the presidency of Nigeria and uh, I dare say that our qualification starts from the fact that we are uh, we understand and know Nigeria better than any other set of Nigerians. I dare say this is my opinion because we go everywhere, we are everywhere, and we invest everywhere. Uh, we are pan-Nigerian people. Um, today, a lot of people, on a lighter note, are afraid of uh, Sambisa. But for the Igbo man, Sambisa is a business opportunity. Uh, the political parties need to be sensitive to the feelings of the various uh, contending uh, groups because uh, um, politics should not be a winner-take-all thing. So if we have this at the back of our mind, my thinking is that we will arrive at the fact that there is a geopolitical zone that has been clamoring and yearning for an opportunity to lead. And um, we should be gracious and magnanimous enough to give consideration to, 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 to such yearnings and aspirations. <laughs> Well, that's all from the nation's capital. It's back to you, Ijoma. Thanks a lot, Mark. A violent protest broke out today in Tafawa Balewa town in Bochi State over the proposed 21st memorial anniversary of a leader and crusader of Sawaya people, the late Baba Peter Gunto. 
Three houses were set ablaze and some persons injured during the demonstration. The people of Tafawa Balewa are deeply divided over whether the anniversary being convened by the Executive Secretary of Tet Fund, Professor Suleiman Bogoro, scheduled for tomorrow should hold or not. The former Speaker of the House of Representatives, Yakubu Dogara, had last week written a letter to the police and the Department of State Services warning of possible security breaches if the convener were allowed to proceed with the event. Meanwhile, a combined team of security personnel is said to have been deployed ahead of the celebration. A diplomatic row may be brewing between Nigeria and Côte d'Ivoire over the controversy surrounding the death of Itunu Babalola, a Nigerian girl who died in an Ivorian prison. Speaking on the latest development following the release of an autopsy by the Ivorian government, Itunu's father, Mr. Emmanuel Babalola, says he rejects the content of the autopsy, which suggests his daughter died of respiratory problems. The 24-year-old Itunu was serving a 10-year jail term in Côte d'Ivoire when she died in prison under controversial circumstances. What baffles me in that matter is that during the time that they carry her into the hospital, there's a blood coming out from her nose and her mouth. What happened? Because her friend take handkerchief to clean the nose and the mouth. The death, and, and when they brought the uh, autopsy, they brought it in French, and I, try, I, I take it to someone to translate for me. What they said, I, because of the death, I rejected the, 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 the autopsy. I want the Nigerian government to assist me. I want the federal government to, to take into this case. I want the, the House of Assembly to please rise up for me. I want the uh, House of Representatives to, to, to rise up. I want the ambassador of the Kodofa, Kodofa, ambassador of Nigeria in Kodofa, to stand up to verify what is really happened, the cause of death of my daughter. I have, that is only my daughter, only the only daughter that I have. Quite sad there. We move to business from there. Here's Anne Wauru. Banking so easy, so simple. Dial star 894 hash now to experience it. You first, first bank. Thanks a lot, Ijoma. Hello and welcome to Business News. Let's begin with the World Bank saying that it expects global crude oil prices to average at $74 per barrel by next year, up from a projected $70 per barrel this year. In its latest commodity market outlook forecast for the year 2022, the International Finance Institution has attributed the projection to strengthening oil demand, which is forecast to reach pre-pandemic levels, while natural gas and coal prices are all expected to fall next year as production constraints continue to ease. The World Bank report further says that although global oil production is expected to increase as OPEC and its partners unwind their production cuts, investment shortfalls in new production, including U.S. shale, remains an upside risk.
Now let's talk about the outlook for Nigeria's economy next year. It is largely positive. However, gross domestic product growth will remain fragile. It's projected at 3% threshold. And this is according to the Center for Promotion of Private Enterprise, CPPE. In its latest outlook for next year, the chief executive officer of the economic advisory firm, Muda Yusuf, has highlighted some downside risks to Nigeria's growth, including insecurity, monetary and foreign exchange policy, as well as debt servicing pressure, which is likely to persist in 2022. He's also mentioned that despite the downside risks, the country's economy will continue to present huge opportunities for investors across all sectors, while the economy will also continue to draw its resilience from activities and creativity of the SMEs and the informal sector. The federal government has released an additional 31.97 billion naira for the payment of accrued pension rights to 2021 retirees of Treasury-funded ministries, departments and agencies. A statement from the National Pension Commission says that this follows an earlier release of the sum of 16.67 billion naira, bringing the total amount released for payment of the 2021 accrued pension rights to 48.64 billion naira. Pencom also says the federal government had earlier settled all arrears of accrued pension rights payments to verified and enrolled retirees up to December 2020. One of Africa's leading financial market infrastructure groups, FMDQ, is set to acquire 21.6% equity stake in Nigeria's leading clearing house for capital market operations, the Central Securities Clearing System. The transaction, which is still subject to approval of the Security and Exchange Commission and the Federal Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, is put at 20 billion naira. While the deal is being viewed positively by regulators in the domestic capital market as it is expected to deepen market operations and enhance competition among exchanges. We head to Nigeria's stock market now, where it eked out a slim recovery at the close of trading today, following gains in the share price of Zenith, Access, and some mid-cap equities in the markets. Ini John Mekwa has the details. Well, thank you so much. Welcome to the stock market report. A flattish positive close at the NGX today. Only three billion naira added to the total value of the market. So not a very loud belly from the bull. Our counters are still more red, except for banking. But even with that, uh, the gain was much lower than yesterday. Just about half a percentage. That's a third of yesterday's percentage. Jais Bank added two cobbles, Sterling Bank four cobbles. Well, other counters remain largely in the red, although the loss is much less than what it was yesterday. Jais Bank seems to be of interest for the second day running as it led the top trade by volume at uh, 97.76 million traded. The activity the chat also had some very interesting volume was up almost 100% compared to yesterday at about 360 million what value was at about 1.84 billion well one more trading day before the end of the year we'll see how that goes as a stock market report I'm Ini John Mekwa and with those numbers we end business news tonight thank you for watching I'm Anne Wawadu the rest of the news at 10 continues with Ijoma
Thanks a lot, Anne. Mourners are paying their respects to late Archbishop Desmond Tutu, whose body is now lying in state at St. George's Cathedral in Cape Town. Memorial services have also been held in Johannesburg and Pretoria ahead of his funeral on Saturday. For more on this and other international news, here's Simon Pusey with Around the World in Five. Good evening and welcome to the Channel Studios here in London with your international news around the world in five. Ghislaine Maxwell's family say they have started the appeal process after she was found guilty of recruiting and trafficking young girls to be sexually abused by a court in New York. The 60-year-old was found guilty on five of the six counts she faced, including the most serious charge, that of sex trafficking a minor. It means she could spend the rest of her life behind bars. Her family was swamped by reporters after the verdict, which was reached after five days of deliberation by the 12-person jury. The road to justice has been far too long. But today, justice has been done. I want to commend the bravery of the girls, now grown women who stepped out of the shadows and into the courtroom. Their courage and willingness to face their abuser made today's result in this case possible. But Ghislaine Maxwell's lawyer said she was confident they would overturn the result. Obviously, we are very disappointed with the verdict. We have already started working on the appeal, and we are confident that she will be vindicated. Everyone, be healthy. Have a happy new year. Mourners are filing past the coffin of Archbishop Desmond Tutu as his body lies in state at St. George's Cathedral in Cape Town in South Africa. A motorcade flanked by police drove the coffin to the cathedral before it was carried into his old parish by six priests. People have been visiting the coffin to say their final goodbyes. Mourners have one more day to pay their respects to the anti-apartheid hero who died last week, aged 90. Afghanistan's former president has defended his decision to flee the country as the Taliban closed in earlier this year, saying he did it to prevent the destruction of Kabul. For sustainable peace in Afghanistan. Ashraf Ghani reveals that when he woke up on 15th of August, he had no inkling it would be his last day in Afghanistan. It was only when his plane left Kabul that he realized he was going. He was heavily criticized and accused of abandoning the country at the time. He is now in the United Arab Emirates. Chile is mourning the death of nine people after an accident between a lorry and a minibus in its central O'Higgins region. According to local media, eight of the 11 occupants of the minibus died at the scene. A few hours later, a ninth person was confirmed dead in a nearby hospital. The minibus was carrying agricultural workers. An investigation has been opened to establish the cause. Two former senior editors arrested in a Hong Kong police crackdown on a pro-democracy media organization have been charged with sedition-related offenses. While police did not identify the pair or the company, a charge sheet filed at the West Kowloon Magistrates Court identified them as former Stand News chief editor Chung Pyu Kyun and Patrick Lam, the acting chief editor. It comes a day after around 200 police raided the office, froze its assets and arrested seven current and former senior editors and former board members. Protesters have set fire to the entrance of Australia's old Parliament House in Canberra during a demonstration for Aboriginal sovereignty. Eyewitness video showed black smoke billowing from the entrance of the building. 
The fire engulfed the front doors before it was put out. No one was injured during the incident, according to local media. Government lawmakers and Prime Minister Scott Morrison condemned the protesters' actions. Iran has used a satellite launch rocket to send three research devices into space. Iranian state TV showed footage of the rocket blasting off, but officials haven't confirmed where the objects actually reached orbit. It comes as indirect U.S.-Iran talks take place in Austria to try to salvage a 2015 nuclear deal. And finally, temperatures have dropped along the east coast of the United States while record lows were measured in Alaska. This has caused transportational and infrastructure issues for some, but for others it's opened up a whole world of fun. Here a man sledging down a residential road in Seattle, and here a child in South Lake Tahoe in California jumping into a huge pile of the white stuff. According to the National Weather Service, the coldest air in nearly five years is set to arrive by the New Year's weekend. And that's your international news around the world in five. Now back to the Channel Studios in Lagos. Many thanks, Simon. Match day three fixtures in the Niger Professional Football League were rounded up this evening with two league games. Katsina United's Abba Umar scored within three minutes of the first half to hand the host their first win of the season against former champions Kano Pillars at the Mohamedou Diko Stadium in Katsina. Abia Warriors forced host Niger Tenedos to a 1-0 draw at the Baku Kantagura Stadium in Mina. Napoli and Super Eagles forward Victor Sime is isolating after testing positive for COVID-19 or coronavirus for a second time with the African Nations Cup due to kick off in just over a week. The 23-year-old, who is still recovering from surgery after suffering a smashed cheekbone in late November, was tested before travelling to Italy for a checkup on Friday. Atletico Madrid coach Diego Simeone and forward Antoine Griezmann have tested positive for COVID-19 as the La Liga champions announced five new cases earlier today. Atletico said someone and the 2018 World Cup winner Griezmann were asymptomatic and isolating along with Coque, Hector Herrera and Yao Felix. UEFA President Alexander Seferin has reiterated the European football governing body has not changed its position to the plans by FIFA to stage a biennial World Cup, saying the women's tournament or the Olympics would be affected if they were held in the same year as the finals. Mr. Seferin describes the move as simply a bad idea which will not happen. And Dante Wilder's coach Malik Scott believes Alexander Yusek could beat a vulnerable Tyson Fury if the heavyweights eventually fight. The WBA, WBO and IBF champion Yusek is set for a rematch with Anthony Joshua, but if he wins, he could agree a unification contest with the WBC champion Fury later in the year. Well, Scott backed the 34-year-old to upset Fury. And that sports news is back to you, Jamal for the wrap. Thanks a lot, Ayotunde. Now, just before we go, we'd like to announce the broadcast of our end-of-year program tagged Year 2021 Battles, Resilience and New Normal. It captures the major events of the year 2021. And the program comes up right here on your multiple award-winning station, Channels Television. It'll be tomorrow, December the 31st, between 7 p.m. and 9.45 p.m. So please join us then.
And the main news again. The president today vowed that his administration would track and prosecute looters of the Niger Delta Development Commission Fund. He made the declaration during the inauguration of a 1,050-bed hostel complex built at the NDDC at the University of Uyo, Akwaibom State. That's the news at 10 tonight. Thanks a lot for staying with us. I'm Ijo Mahunyato. Good night.